so good afternoon everybody thank you all so much for joining us so i'm very excited about this episode because we have two great guests on uh, we have hank timms who is a uh, uh, professor of uh, probability and operations research uh, in the netherlands for many decades uh, hank has extensive experience teaching probability to students who have various uh, levels of understanding of the subject and various uh, who come from various backgrounds and things like that so hank not not only understands the concepts of probability really well he also knows what are all the areas where students frequently misunderstand these topics and how to explain it to them what kinds of examples uh, to use to explain the concepts most clearly uh, things like that so hank hank has enormous experience in in this sort of thing and hank has written uh, some very nice books on probability and my my favorite book that hank has written is called surprises in probability so probability is a is a subject where uh, it it just completely defies our intuition uh, so we humans um, as uh, jim o'shaughnessy uh, likes to say we are deterministic thinkers living in a probabilistic world and mm-hmm. so what 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 happens <laughs> is uh, there are all kinds of probabilistic concepts which completely uh misguide us and uh, our intuition is not good uh if we want to reason about probabilistic phenomena and so hank's book surprises in probability it it is a collection of wonderful examples where we might think one particular thing our intuition might tell us one thing and the the, the actual thing the reality uh in a probabilistic setting is very different from what our intuition will lead us to believe so these are all the ways that we can be led astray by uh, our intuition and that's why it's important to understand the concepts of probability and know how to apply them um steven uh, is hank's son he's also with us today and uh, steven has a very different kind of background than hank so Uh, mm-hmm. Hank has formal training in probability, and he's a professor of mathematics and operations research and everything. But Stephen, when he started out, he did not quite uh, have a formal introduction to probability. His uh, uh, formal education did not include uh, coverage of the topics in probability. So what Stephen had to do is Stephen had to figure out all these uh, concepts for himself. and uh, not only did he figure out these concepts by himself he also wrote a book uh, to help us all uh, help help a layman understand the basics of probability it's it's a very nice book it gets into um, uh, the the historical origins of the subject and what are all the common pitfalls that laymen frequently encounter and how do you train yourself to understand uh, uh, get around these pitfalls and understand the concepts and things like that so um uh, steven's book is called uh, chance logic and intuition uh, it's a very nice book uh, and um uh, i i haven't read it fully uh, but i have i have read a couple of chapters and skimmed through it and uh, i i think it's a very nice book on um, just learning the basics of probability 
Um, then secondly, uh, after we learn the basics of probabilities, uh, how do we apply them uh, to investing? Because this is a, a show that is concerned with investing and money management and things like that. So we want to talk about some of the concepts of probability and how they apply to investing as well. Uh, late, later in the show, we'll talk about these concepts. So before uh, we get into the fundamental concepts and things like that, uh, Hank and Steven, uh, would you like to say a few words? Uh, maybe Hank go first and Steven can go uh, second. Oh, yes. Let me say that I'm very honored to be on your show as a polarist. In your announcement of this podcast, you say that the podcast will be, uh, is about how to learn probability and how to apply it to investing. Let me, let me make clear from the beginning that I have many years of experience of teaching probability to students from these different backgrounds, economic students, mathematical students, sometimes even psychology students, but I'm a layman in finance and investing. Of course, I know a number of topics that I think are relevant to these wonderful fields, but I'm, I'm not an expert in this. Um, yes, I've taught a lot of students uh, probability and uh, my experience is uh, I first used in the beginning as professor more formal books, but my experience is that probability is best learned from a book that introduces the student to the world of reality in an informal way where the emphasis should be on gaining insights and the emphasis should be on developing the field of probabilities. Um, in probability, there are only a very few uh, basic formulas. There are not many formulas, but applying those formulas is my experience. It's my experience that applying those formulas is the most difficult uh, things. You should know when to add probabilities and when to multiply probabilities. It's surprising that students have often difficulties with that. Um, and one thing I also learned later on, but that is that an field that teaching probability is much can be much much improved by combining the basic theory of probability and Monte Carlo simulation. I think that in the course of our discussion on this podcast, those things will come naturally back, and I, I will go more in detail about it. But for the moment, I think this is fine. Oh, that, that's lovely uh, and yes absolutely so i have also encountered this often so it, it's very hard to explain to somebody uh, when to add probabilities and when to multiply probabilities this is uh, such a fundamental concept and still we we get it wrong uh, so much of the time and also the the point about monte carlo simulations i i really love that because uh, students who were learning probability uh, years ago, may maybe even even two decades ago or three decades ago, mathematics students and engineering students and others, uh, finance students who were trying to understand the basics of probability, they had to mm. do it by pencil and paper and by hand. And yes. these days we have Excel, we have Python, we have so many computational tools. If we want to run a Monte Carlo simulation, if you want to simulate a game thousand times and see what happens, if you want to simulate what happens with a particular company or a portfolio mm -hmm. or so on under a set of different assumptions, 
we we can run 10 million simulations in 5 minutes yes. on a on a computer and this can give us so much of insight uh, and help us think probabilistically but it is a very underutilized tool today because a lot of people uh, don't know enough probability to be able to uh, run something in excel run a probabilistic simulation and interpret the results so if you you, you don't have to know a whole lot of math Uh, if you just know the basic concepts um, in a qualitative way, and if you are good at Excel or Python or one of these uh, uh, platforms, you can get a lot of probabilistic insights without having to learn uh, a whole lot of math. And that mm. that is such a great point, and that is one one of the best ways to learn probability. Uh, so be- yeah. before we uh, go go into depth on this topic uh, steven would would you like to say a few words about uh, your experience learning probability and um, how you suggest people get into it and how you came to write a book um, yeah. starting from yeah, a complete sure. layman you you learned all the basics and not just you not not you not not only figured out the basics for yourself you also wrote a book to help others yeah. figure out yeah. the basics Yeah. Well, it started um with the idea of writing the book and um because I uh, was a layman on probability um I thought uh, that was um one good way to start writing a book for layman on probability. And um but it took me uh, quite some time but uh, the main ideas are uh pretty simple but you have to see them not to uh, uh make mistakes and um um well i think there are two ways uh to uh learn uh, about probability uh, the basics of probability in a in a in a not technical way and it is by computer simulation you can see a lot but also by looking at the history because probability be- began with uh, gambling games with throwing two or three dice and um if you just uh, ask some simple questions about dice uh, you 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 get the main ideas of probability uh, within a few simple examples and um that's uh, that's also a great way to uh, introduce yourself to probability and about investment um i must confess i know uh, almost nothing about in uh, vesting just like my father but um i think um it's the same with probability and investing um you have a, a couple of rules a couple of life rules you have to stick to you have to keep it simple and uh, you always have to have a plan b <laughs> and um yeah it's it's hard for me to tell uh, about investment uh, what to do exactly uh, in certain situations how things exactly work but um um uh, my idea of investment is uh, like it's a decision making a decision is something between a decision and a guess it's always an educated guess so you you got some uh, evidence or whatever but you're not sure what uh, will happen 
and therefore I would say uh, keep it simple and um, have always have a plan B. And uh, but the uh, um, uh, more specific, uh, I, I really can't be. Uh, sure. <laughs> well, uh, so the, the point about gambling games is is so relevant uh, because w- one of my heroes in investing is this guy called Ed Thorpe. And um, the way Ed Thorpe started out was uh, trying to do card counting and things like that, uh, blackjack oh, okay. and, and so on. Yeah. So Ed, Ed Thorpe was the guy. So before Thorpe, people did not know that there is a strategy to play blackjack. But yeah. Ed Thorpe, he was a mathematician and he discovered that there is a way to um, uh, sort of play the game of blackjack so that the odds now are on your side instead of being on the side of the house. And yeah. Ed, you use this uh, insight uh, to, uh, to make a lot of money by uh, going to the casinos and so on. Uh, but then eventually what happened was the casinos understood that this guy is yeah, a genius sure. and he has figured out something. <laughs> and so, so they, they tried to, uh, they, they once tried to sabotage his car or something like that. And uh, yeah. suddenly uh, he left the casino and then uh, his, uh, his brakes, uh, the brakes on his car stopped working, some, something like that. And, and oh, then yeah, they yeah, sure. decided. <laughs> he ended somewhere in the desert of uh, Las Vegas or... Uh... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's in uh, in a casino. It's it's dangerous to keep winning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, b- well, because, with jack, with blackjack, you can uh, uh, you can beat uh, um, the house maybe, but uh, with roulette, which is a pure chance game, um, is. Uh, so almost well, maximum unpredictability. That is what randomness is. So you well, can be yes, <laughs> but actually uh, there is a story where Ed Thorpe and Claude Shannon uh, they yeah. they got together and they built a wearable computer, the first wearable computer. They built it and they used yeah. it to predict uh, the movement of a roulette wheel. And <laughs> oh, so, so right. this guy, it wasn't no, it was not really fair, the roulette wheel, and they uh, yes, so they, could, uh, they, they figured um, out that the if, if you know the initial velocity and the initial oh, right, uh, state yeah. of the roulette wheel, you can yeah, predict yeah. with a high degree of confidence where it's going to land. And <laughs> these guys actually built a computer to do that, and and they uh, uh, and they managed to uh, prove that it it worked quite quite effectively they, they got a pretty significant edge over the casino uh, in, right. in doing this um, yeah, but then you know it's uh, in, in a Las Vegas casino it, it's it's pretty dangerous if you keep winning because uh, yeah. suddenly uh, <laughs> big big muscular guys will come and take you out yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the big bulls yes, don't like yeah. it <laughs> yes so, may, may involve make one remark uh, sure, it's indeed uh, very well known this this uh, this machinery of uh, Torp and uh, his uh, the famous guy who discovered Kelly betting, but in uh, the, it's indeed dangerous probably Las Vegas, but I think in 1995 
some people from uh, East Europe use the same trick in, a cas in the casino of the Ritz Hotel. And they won about four million, uh, exactly what you explained. So they had a kind of uh, uh, camera and a hidden uh, computer and they could uh, calculate what was the most likely origin that the, the ball would land. Mm. And it was one millions of uh, British pounds. But the casino could, could do nothing about it. They discovered it, but the British law didn't um, forbid to use this kind of things. And you have not big uh, shouldered guys in uh, the Ritz Hotel. So it's a beautiful story. But okay, let's not uh, okay. get too much. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe you can, you can, uh, you can be chance. Britain than to win in uh, Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, you can so. beat chance uh, with uh, uh, physically, uh, physics, but not mathematically. And um, uh, that's my point. Um, there is no system uh, to uh, to beat uh, the roulette. Um, no betting system, I guess. No, you're right. Well, uh, if, and, um, yes, exactly. If if your yeah. uh, mathematical abstraction of a roulette wheel uh, involves equal probabilities and things like that, then there is yeah. no way to uh, beat it. But there's no physical roulette wheel that corresponds to that mathematical abstraction. So no, they are not uh, perfect. Wheels, <laughs> yes, exactly. So, but so, you can uh, you can beat a wheel, but you can't uh, you can't beat the guys who are behind it. <laughs> Because they hire some uh, pretty uh, <laughs> nasty figures to, to uh, throw you out of the casino or do even worse things. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah. So that that's why Thorpe <laughs> decided that uh, this this game is too risky. Thorpe is a very risk averse kind of person, and um, yeah. so so he decided that th this thing is too risky for him, and that's why he went and started a hedge fund. Uh, so, so All right. <laughs> if you're betting on the stock market, uh, no, <laughs> if you're buying and selling stocks and options and things like that, uh, nobody can uh, you know, catch you and throw you out and <laughs> things like that if you win too much money. And so thought decided that uh, he, he's going to focus his energy on uh, finding mispriced bets, not in the casino, yeah, yeah. but in the stock market and the options markets. And yeah, uh, thought was actually... <laughs> Yeah, he, he's written some beautiful books and he has appeared on a few podcasts and so on. Uh, uh, his life is one of the most colorful lives. And uh, yeah. th there was a meeting where Th Thorpe actually went and met Warren Buffett. Um, and they, they both uh, enjoyed meeting each other very much. And uh, Warren Buffett came away with a very high opinion of Thorpe. And Thorpe, after that meeting, decided to put a big, big chunk of his uh, wealth into Berkshire Hathaway. And that has done enormously well. Um, so so the, there are all these inve investing connections that stem originally from uh, finding an edge, finding a probabilistic edge in a game of blackjack yeah, yeah. And, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So it's all very yeah. interesting to follow the this history. Uh, the other okay, thing that I would... Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. A, a simple point is... Um, even if you uh, find the edge, you hear only uh, about guys who uh, uh, made it. Because still, if you have an edge, you, you are running a, a pretty big risk. 
Yes. So, uh, unless you have a uh, f- uh, pretty uh, large amount of money, maybe, uh, uh, then uh, uh, you could do uh, better in investment. But um, exactly, this this ties to your point that you should always have a plan B. And yeah, that, right. That is exactly right. <laughs> you you can play a game where you have a ninety percent chance of winning the game and a ten percent chance of losing the yeah. game. But still, maybe an educated guess, but it's it's, it's it remains just a guess. So uh, exactly, exactly, you yeah, should be prepared yeah. for both outcomes because in in yeah. investing, the name of the game is survival. You you may yeah. have an edge, but an edge is not a guarantee. An edge is exactly. not a certainty, and so yeah. uh, th- there are no certainties in the world of investing. Uh, yeah. And so in any time you buy a stock or a, uh, do a trade or any anything like that, uh, there is a range of possible outcomes that can happen. Mm. And if one of the outcomes is that you lose all your money or something like that, then no matter what, you should never put all your money into that bet because there is a no. chance that you could lose it all. Uh, yeah. So, so uh, th- this whole idea of have a plan B uh, it, it's such a fundamental thing to investing. It, it um, so Ed Thorpe uh, has has written uh, how how to bet if you have an edge. So an edge yeah. is not a certainty. So even if you have an edge, there is such a thing as taking too much risk, betting too much money on that edge, and then you yeah. can go broke. So uh, yeah. the, the, for example, there there is this idea of short term risk. Uh, sh- short-term volatility versus long-term risk. Um, yeah. So exactly, you, you, you may have an edge uh, in in a particular game. Uh, I mean, you, you you may be able to trade, uh, say, with a with a ninety percent chance of making money and a ten percent chance of losing money. But uh, there is a chance that you lose money, say, five five times in a row or something like that. And if if that happens, um, then uh, you you have to know what to do. Uh, so so for example, if you, if you borrow money and bet on a game uh, where you have the edge, uh, you you may still end up losing the borrowed money. So um, then you may get margin called and things like that. So in in this case, what what you've done is basically you've taken short term volatility and converted mm-hmm. it into long term risk because uh, in, in you have an edge. Uh, so an edge basically means uh, in the long term, you will succeed. But yep. in the short term, anything could happen. An edge doesn't guarantee anything in the short term. No. So if you if you take money on margin or something like that, and you put it on a, on a stock where you think you have an edge, in the short term, something could happen and then force you to get margin called. And then you could uh, collapse. Uh, you, you could blow up. So uh, lo- lots of traders... Um, have have learned this the the hard way, and yeah. thoughts, uh, books are full of advice on how to avoid situations like this. Um, so mm-hmm. so this this is such a such a key fundamental point uh, in investing. Now I learned something too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. So so one one thing that I uh, that I've been uh, curious about is um, uh, Stephen wrote this wonderful paper. So uh, Stephen has this paper on um, uh, the gambler's 
fallacy. Uh, yeah. So uh, there, there is the gambler's fallacy and then there is the uh, law of large numbers. Uh, so what, what Stephen was arguing in this paper is that when people don't understand the law of large numbers correctly, that is when they fall prey to the gambler's fallacy. So uh, Stephen, if, if you could explain uh, what, what exactly the gambler's fallacy is, and secondly, uh, how should we understand the law of large numbers? And if we don't understand the law of large numbers correctly, uh, how can we fall prey to the gambler's fallacy? If you could just uh, explain this, that, that'll be great. Yeah. Um, well, I shall put uh, a few ideas together. And that's what I did. Um, these ideas um, I found when I was writing my book. And I thought this can explain the camera's fallacy. And um, to explain the camera's fallacy itself, it's most simple to take a coin, to flip a coin. And uh, say you flip a coin and you get uh, four times heads in a row. And um, then you have to flip the coin again. And your intuition says, now it's time. Now it's now uh, um, the coin is due to uh, land uh, tails up because I've had four times uh, heads, heads, heads. And um, uh, if it isn't uh, going to be tail now, tails now, um, there must be something wrong with the coin. Uh, then the law right. of so large so if, uh, numbers. If it's a fair coin, then the fifth yeah. one, uh, the, the right. higher probability of a tails than a, yeah. than a heads. That is the gambler's fallacy. Because intuition tells the averages uh, of uh, heads and tails uh, must come together. Uh, the more, uh, uh, the more, or get closer and closer, tend to get closer and closer. Uh, the more often I uh, toss the coin. Right. And um, now here are several ideas that uh, came together. And um, let's start with the actual behavior of a coin. Um, in my paper, I showed that um, it's not uh, uncommon at all for these uh, runs of uh, consecutive heads or tails uh, to appear in, uh, in uh, coin tossing. And that's quite normal behavior for a random process. Uh, why we think it's about uh, a balanced, irregular uh, distribution between heads and tails. But that's not the case. These, uh, these longer runs of consecutive heads or tails are uh, quite uh, typical of a random process. So why do we feel that they aren't, that they have to be compensated? Now, that's where the law of large numbers comes in. But that law uh, is actually a, a mathematical law. And Bernoulli uh, has proven that law uh, for uh, coin tossing. But um, he also said it was very difficult to prove this law, but almost everybody uh, even people without a medical education know this law in some way. And um, <clears throat> that uh, gave me the idea 
uh, of this idea of the law of large numbers, this intu intuitive idea of the law of, large, law of large numbers, where does it come from? Now, um, uh, you have to read the article a bit, but it is uh, a part of our conception of probability because um, um, if you toss the coin and it would be heads, 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 and heads again, uh, then uh, we feel it's out of proportion. And um, then uh, probability isn't telling us anything anymore because probability says in the long run uh, they get closer and closer. If it doesn't happen, well, we don't understand the concept of probability anymore. Then anything can happen. So we have an intuitive idea of the law of large numbers, and I call this the law of averages. But right. its so, idea so is law of large numbers. Um, can you uh, l l let me just quickly uh, explain what, what the law of large numbers is? So yeah, law of large numbers basically says that if you toss a coin a large number of times in in the long run, yeah. and then you take the number of heads and the number of tails. Um, yeah. if, if you divide the number of heads by the number of tails, that will uh, be approximately equal to one. So because heads and tails yeah. are equally likely. Yeah, you yeah, tend to get closer and closer. Yeah. Right, exactly. Uh, but this law is applicable only when you take a large number of tosses, only in the very long run. Yes, and that's the, the point. In the short run, you can, you can have, you know, uh, the, the number of heads and number of tails can vary uh, quite a bit. You could have twice as many heads as tails or something like that if, if you just do yeah, a small sure. number of tosses. And, yeah, and yeah, so there is a, the law of large numbers does not apply to small numbers of tosses. Yeah, yeah. So, and the problem is that our intuitive notion of the law of large numbers, the law of averages, we have this notion that it exists but we have, it is incomplete. Our intuition doesn't tell us how long the run, long run is. And so we uh, uh, think it's about a couple of dozen of times, maybe a hundred times, but somewhere within the reach of our experience, of our intuition, of our, when we are playing uh, games of chance or in daily life. But the numbers about which the law of large numbers uh, is speaking is far beyond the number domain of our daily experience of our intuition. It's not a hundred times, uh, but it is uh, two thousand five hundred times, and um, that is something very counterintuitive. We we expect it to happen within our, a range of our daily uh, experience. But actually, it only happens uh, far beyond that range. Yeah, if you expect it uh, to happen in a, a relatively short run, this in a couple of dozen of hundred times, those long runs that are actually typical for a random uh, coin tossing have to be compensated because otherwise the averages couldn't get that close within a dozen or 100 uh, tosses. And that's uh, why we, uh, why the, uh, why the, uh, 
this law of averages uh, draws us into the arms of the gambler's fallacy. So may, I, may I interrupt for a, for a moment because otherwise this discussion became too much fixed on it. Indeed, is what Stephen is telling is true. People have no idea, but uh, it is within your reach to get a good idea of it by using Monte Carlo simulation. By Monte Carlo simulation, the law of numbers becomes alive before your eyes, and you see how slowly and irregularly uh, the average number of heads uh, converts to 0.5%. So what was surprising in, in, in early days and difficult to explain to students, I, I always tell them, just run a run Monte Carlo simulation, use the graphics of your computer, and you see exactly what's going on. Yeah, so, that's true. Right. That's, people had, uh, people had it... It was it 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 is very uh, um, labor uh, intensive to do the calculations and to see why uh, you need two thousand five hundred times or uh, why these runs uh, of the same outcome are uh, typical for toying, coin tossing. But now with the computer, within a moment you can make it visible, graphical. And right, exactly. And that's so you, uh, that's, you, you may think that, that the law law of large numbers may come into effect if you just toss a coin hundred times. Yeah, but it turns and that's out that hundred times is not not really a large number for the law of large no, numbers no, to apply. No. So it's it's more like two thousand five hundred times. And yeah. so, so if you if you ask a computer to toss a coin hundred times, and then you ask the computer to toss a coin yeah. two thousand five hundred yeah. times, yeah. you can, you can yeah. compare the statistics of, of these yeah. two yeah. Uh, different runs of coin tosses, and you'll see yeah. that in the first case, the law of large numbers does not yeah. really come into effect. And in the second yeah. case, the law of large numbers does come into effect. So yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, see, I'm 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 a computer scientist. I don't have any formal training in finance or investing or anything like that. So, um, so I sort of learned probability initially only by experimenting with computers and running a large number right. of simulations yeah. like this. Yeah. And yeah. I, I would yeah, definitely one, yeah. recommend. Uh, to, to to folks on this call, if, if you want to understand the basics of probability, it, it's a it's a great idea to take some common probability puzzles, uh, like like some of the puzzles in in Hank's book, surprises yeah. in probability, yeah, uh, yeah. like the birthday paradox or something like that, and just run a yeah. computer simulation. You you don't have to know yeah, any sure. math or anything like that. Just ask a computer to simulate a large number of possible cases and see what happens and what falls yeah. out of the computer will tell you the math. So you, even yeah. if you don't know the math yourself, that that's su such a great point. Well, you have to have some really basic ideas, of course, on, otherwise you can't interpret it, uh, the uh, right. visuals, the graphics. But um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a great help and it's far more easier today uh, to see why the law of large numbers uh, doesn't work with in uh, 100 coin tosses than it was uh, about uh, 50 years ago. And the lesson is, um, if you're a gambler, if you're an investor, don't pin your hopes on the law of large numbers and uh, think uh, it's not effective in the number domain 
which you're thinking about unless you are going to start a casino, exactly. <laughs> something like that. So, so and, Warren Buffett uh, has important. this. Uh, Warren Buffett has this saying that uh, to finish first, you have to first finish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so the I- idea is, you know, yeah, sure, you may have an edge. And you may be confident of uh, finishing ahead of everybody else uh, by applying this edge. But this edge may apply only in the long run. And if you want to get to the long run, first you have to make sure that you can survive whatever happens in the short run. (laughs) And uh, And you uh, don't know. (laughs) Exactly. In the the short run, anything could happen. And you, you should really position yourself in such a way that even if it takes you a little longer to get to the long run, you should first make yeah. sure that you can survive whatever happens in the short run so that yeah. you ultimately get to the long run where the odds yeah. are in your favor. Yes, yeah. but again, Monte Carlo simulation make all those things clear. Uh, it is also the case that even if you have a very good background in mathematics and probability theory, you uh, then you still, still very often need Monte Carlo simulation. You, if you change the problem slightly, then becomes often very difficult to get an analytical solution. Take the birthday problem. Everybody knows how to compute the probability that in a group of of, of, of 25 people, there will be at least two people having the same birthday. That's very simple mathematics. Um, is the basics of probability, but but change the question into what's the probability that in that that in a group of uh, ten people there are t- at least two people who have a birthday within one day or have a birthday within seven days. Then it becomes extremely difficult. But if you write a Monte Carlo simulation. The, the original uh, the simulation for the problem is just as easy as for the uh, problem in which you uh, changed uh, the situation. And so are there are many, many examples in which uh, it is extremely difficult to find a uh, solution for a probability problem, while in a few s- seconds you can find, sol- solve it by Monte Carlo simulation. And the interesting thing is that if you if you write a simulation, a Monte Carlo simulation of such problems, you have in fact to apply ideas from Markov chain theory, ideas that go back to the famous Russian mathematician uh, Andrei Markov from the 19th century. Because if you write a computer uh, Monte Carlo simulation, you have to carefully define what is the information I need, what is the state I need, what are the state transitions. Surprisingly, this is exactly Markov chain theory, which is the most powerful theory in more advanced probability theory. You have also given in your Twitter thread several examples of the usefulness of Markov chains and the concept of Markov chains, state, state transition, chance trees. Mm. So that's why I always had tried when I was teaching to, to advocate the use of computer simulation, Monte Carlo simulation together with this theory, but yeah. Right. right. That, that may, may I add? May I add one thing about the law of large numbers? Sure. Sure. Uh, and computer simulation. Um, that's also one thing you can uh, see uh, when you do a uh, Monte Carlo simulation, and that's that the um, uh, actual difference between head and tails tends to grow 
while the averages get closer and closer, the overall difference tends to grow. And that's because of those uh, uh, runs of the same outcome that are not compensated. And um, so you see something a bit paradoxical that uh, although the averages come together, the actual difference tends to grow. Oh, and uh, right, right. And that's, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can see that's very good with uh, computer simulations. Right. And also, if you simulate uh, more, more uh, uh, several times, you can see how the different uh, uh, paths, uh, graphics of the uh, coin tosses uh, can widely differ. And uh, especially uh, the more you throw, uh, toss a coin, the more they uh, will differ and um, the more wilder it becomes. And then it's pretty uh, mysterious how the averages still can uh, get closer and closer because no, that, that's, not, that's not mysterious, <laughs> Stephen. No, so it's mysterious. not mysterious, but it looks mysterious. It's, uh, oh, well. <laughs> it's easy to understand. To, to, a, to a professor but, um, of probability, maybe to a professor of math. For layman, it's mysterious. mysterious. <laughs> for layman, well, it's it, mysterious. It's like this. Okay, so if, if I say that uh, X divided by Y is equal to 1, Okay, so so the yeah. number of heads divided by the number of tails is approximately equal to one in the yeah, long run. Yeah. Then you yeah. will think that uh, the number of heads minus the number of tails would be approximately zero, right? Because if yeah. uh, heads divided yeah. by tails is one, then heads is equal to tails, and so heads minus tails should be equal to zero. But yeah, it's, that's it's a not like that because no. uh, the number of heads minus the number of tails, the the law of large numbers says nothing about that. Exactly. No, no. The law of large numbers only tells you that the number of heads divided by the number of tails goes yes. to one. <laughs> yeah, actually, so the, the little bit false. In in the difference the tends to grow with uh, the square root uh, from the number of tosses. Exactly. And there, my so as, as father can tell tosses. a lot about. <laughs> it's a yeah. it's a very interesting. Uh, uh, it's a very uh, yeah, basic uh, uh, result, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's astonishing that you can do this only with a uh, toying course and with computer simulation. And um, right, right, exactly, and that, that's why it's 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 so important to see lots of people. If if you turn on CNBC, for example. Uh, I, I remember there was an episode where uh, there, there was one of the during one of the morning shows, uh, there, there was this anchor who was asking Tim Cook, uh, look, you sold so many iPhones this quarter, uh, but do you think the law of large numbers uh, will prevent you from selling more iPhones in the future or something, something like that? Yeah. They don't know what the law of large numbers means. Um, no. uh, they, they simply think. You know, oh, law of large numbers means Apple cannot sell more iPhones or whatever. It's very fascinating, but use Monte Carlo simulation, anything becomes clear, and you can you can you can explain it by a little mathematics. The 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 central limit theorem that is increasing the difference details heads according to the square root law, the square root for the number of tosses. But it, the best thing is use Monte Carlo simulation and you will be convinced. 
it's uh, fun right right absolutely and and there are so many concepts like this that that are widely misunderstood uh, so nasim talib has these wonderful books uh, non technical books so you, you don't have to yeah. know much mathematics to uh, read nasim talib's books so uh, he he's got these wonderful concepts in in these books so one one particular book is uh, fooled by randomness and yes. uh, in in that book he he makes a very a uh, very profound point uh, which is that you can't just just because an outcome turned out well you cannot say that the decision was made correctly so so for example warren buffett decided to sell airline stocks in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic uh, warren buffett uh, owned a number of airlines and he decided to sell all these airline stocks and today you you look at all the airline stocks uh, they are definitely up from when uh, warren buffett sold those stocks so mm-hmm. uh, so he he sold those stocks in 2020 and in 2022 they are all up so does yeah. that mean that warren buffett made a mistake selling those stocks or you can uh, look at a trader i mean there, there may be a trader who who traded uh, weekly call options on uh, Uh, GME or AMC or one of these meme stocks and made millions of dollars. So then you can say, okay, look at this trader. He uh, he went and he bet on this uh, this particular GME call option, and today he's mm. worth millions of dollars. So does that mean that he has uh, made the right decision? Now the answer in I both these cases, no. <laughs> yeah, you you cannot say that uh, no. simply because uh, this is exactly what Nasim Talib says. <laughs> in if you're living in a purely deterministic world where <laughs> your decisions map directly to the outcome that you see then yes a good outcome means you made a good decision and a bad outcome means you made a bad decision but sure. if you're living in a probabilistic world then you can make a good decision that still results in a bad outcome uh you can yeah. make a bad decision that still results in a good outcome <coughs> so you can't just look at the outcome and then tell yeah. whether the That's decision true. was a good decision or not uh actually so there was look at the process yeah. that went into the decision yeah. making yeah there was once uh, an ancient greek playwright euripides and he wrote the best soothsayer is the one who makes a good guess <laughs> and uh <laughs> Yeah, it may be an educated guess, but it stays. It remains a guess. Um, you can't. Uh, you can't uh, be. Uh, there are no guarantees. And, right. Um, right. Exactly. Exactly. And if you understand and, basic uh, probability, the chances that you will make such a mistake that you you might think that uh, this trader who took an enormous amount of risk, uh, you might think yeah. he made a good decision. So. uh if you understand probability you will not think like that and that that is the whole point of nasim talib's uh, wonderful exactly. all, all his books are great but uh, fooled by randomness in particular it contains yes, yes. Uh, this, this kind of logic uh, uh, so so th- that that is something mm. that's so so important to understand uh, yeah. uh, at this yeah. point we should we should probably stop and take take some questions well we we have a lot of participants but nobody wants to ask a question so i, I mm-hmm. usually when when this happens i will uh, plug this line from confucius and what what confucius once said is uh if you ask a question 
you may remain, you may look like a fool for a minute. There are no stupid questions. There are no stupid. There are no stupid questions. There are no stupid questions. But but uh, what what Confucius said was if you yes. ask a question, you may look like a fool for a minute. Uh, but yeah. if you don't ask the question, you, you may remain a fool for life. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes uh, that is uh, very true. Mm-hmm. I, I, I might for the moment tell another nice story uh, that might uh, uh, help to to raise uh, questions. When I I taught probability, I always put a lot of attention to the square root formula saying that, st- that uh, in mathematical terms saying that the standard deviations of a sum of, of a sum of n identical random variables is the square root of the individuals, uh, uh, the square root of times the individual standard deviation. And there's a very, this, 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 this famous, uh, square root formula was discovered in the 18th century by Abraham de Wavre. One, the greatest probabilist of his time, Abraham Lau was a good friend of Isaac Neil, uh, Isaac uh, Newton. And uh, when uh, the Maver published this uh, square root formula, it had an immediate impact on the methods that were uh, used by uh, at the London Mint to inspect gold and coins struck at the London Mint. Uh, absolutely. So, so uh, the the square root formula is is very important in investing as well, because yes, it's I the think so. formula that is at the cornerstone of uh, diversification. So we we we've, we've all heard this saying that uh, we shouldn't put all our eggs in one basket, right? So yes. you, you don't take all your money and put it into one stock or something like that. That's not a good idea in investing in general. Mm. Uh, but people don't. Uh, people just say, don't put all your eggs in one basket and then stop with that. Uh, The natural question after that is, okay, fine. I shouldn't put all my eggs in one basket. How many baskets should I put my eggs in? Like how how many stocks uh, should I invest in? And how much, uh, how many eggs should I put into each basket? Uh, How much money should I put into each stock? Right. And um, if you know the square root formula, uh, that can help you predict that uh, if if you uh, if, if you have a certain amount of variability with one stock, mm-hmm. uh, then the amount of variability you have with n stocks uh, is one by square root of n, something like that. Yes. It, it it changes as one by square root of n. So this yes. this tells you two two important things. So one one thing is the more stocks you have in your portfolio, assuming these stocks are all completely uncorrelated and so on, yes. uh, the more stocks you have in your portfolio the less variation you will get in your returns because one over square root of n yeah, as yeah, n keeps yeah, yeah. Uh, increasing what happens yeah. is one over square root of n keeps decreasing and it goes yes. to zero yes. uh, so the more and more stocks you have in your portfolio the less and less the variation in your returns which is great that that's the benefit of diversification the yes. if, if you have just one stock you, you have a lot of variability mm-hmm. but if you have lots of stocks you have less variability yeah, the, the second thing that this formula tells you is that the, there is a law of diminishing returns to diversification. So yes. uh, as you keep increasing the number of stocks, as you go from mm. one stock to two stocks, the benefit you get is quite a lot. But yes. if you go from two stocks to three stocks, the benefit is a little bit less. If you go yeah. from yeah. 10 stocks to 11 stocks, the benefit is not that much at all. So yeah. the 
this not only tells you that there is a benefit to diversification it also tells you that the benefit keeps decreasing as the number of stocks keeps increasing and this square root law tells you exactly the math of diversification and that's that's why people mm. like warren buffett and others they they say that you know you, you don't have to be like true diversification doesn't mean being invested in 500 different things or something like that if you are invested in 20 different things and they are all really uncorrelated and you know those 20 things really well you know the economic characteristics of those 20 things mm-hmm. you are sufficiently well diversified you don't have to diversify into every single thing out there uh, so so the the square root law is <laughs> uh, it's so basic to understanding the math of portfolio diversification that's just absolutely this absolutely true there are so many other beautiful small ideas uh, in probability that affect every student should learn and is very often uh, not taught to students that take uh, take the one states the principle of the one states look ahead rule you uh, you use it also i think in the devils uh, I used it so in, in my original form of the Devil's Penny uh, game, uh, a game that you uh, gave. Right, the, the Devil's yeah. Card game. Uh, yeah, but right, right. perhaps, yeah, yeah. The, the idea is very simple. Perhaps let me explain to you a very simple game. That's uh, it's the following dice game. You roll on dice. Okay. Uh, you see how many points appear, and you at those points, uh, you, you made the roll the dice as often as you wish. And each time you add the number of points rolled to the current score you already have. This okay. this is the case as long as you don't roll a one. At the moment you roll a one, the game is over and you lose all your points. Okay. So the question is, what's the right moment to stop if you want to maximize the average score per game? And there you can beautifully use the one stage look ahead rule. You can easily calculate the expected increase in your current score and you can easily ex- calculate the expected decrease in your score. That's the fact you're losing all points is probability one six. And then uh, you can, you, you use in fact the one stage look ahead rule and uh, it tells you what the optimal strategy is. Very nice. This principle, in this case, it is optimal because once you have entered an unfavorable state, you stay in a favorable state. But let me not go too much in details. But the one stage look ahead rule is so often applicable to, to make a decision by comparing, suppose I go first for one extra step or I stop. This is also a principle that's very, I think, very relevant in many situations. Uh, yeah, um, yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's a question of uh, opportunity cost. Yes. Uh, there's this idea in investing that um, at any given time you're at a particular stage, and uh, what you do at any at at that state that you are in depends on what are all the alternatives that are available to you, and yes. which which one do you pick based on what are the alternatives available at, at that point in time? That, so uh, the, the idea of opportunity cost is if, if you put your capital into, into one stock, for example, that capital mm-hmm. is not available to be put into some other stock. So, so mm-hmm. you, you have to look at the 
alternatives you have, uh, that is all, all the stocks that you understand at a particular point in time, and then decide where to bet on. And uh, so so if you, if you decide to go and say, uh, put 100K into buying a house or something like that, into making yes. a down payment on a house, that 100K, you, you don't have that available to invest in stocks. And if the mm-hmm. house is going to appreciate at a 5% uh, uh, rate or something like that, whereas the stocks are going to appreciate at a 20% rate or some, something like that, then the opportunity cost of putting that money in the house is much greater uh, simply because the alternative that you have uh, in stocks is, is much better than the alternative that you choose. So yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so, so the one, one stage look ahead rule is, is basically, uh, if you go down path one, uh, what is your expected outcome? And if you go down path two, what is your expected outcome? And then, so which which outcome do you go? Because if you choose path one, the opportunity cost of that is path two. And if you choose path two, the opportunity cost of that is path one. So yes. you, you have to decide which which path to take yeah, uh, to, yeah. to optimize. Uh, this, this is uh, such such a fundamental idea in yes. investing and uh, in pretty much various kinds of optimization. They they use exactly this this kind of rule. Yes, it, 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 it doesn't give always the optimal decision, but it's very good heuristic in many cases. And uh, that's a nice principle. Yeah, so there are many other things uh, I would like to mention. Uh, I think Stephen, Stephen forget to mention the law of truly large numbers. Huh? That that says, right on my mind. <laughs> that, 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 swan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that says that a very unlikely event is always, uh, uh, will always occur if it gets enough, a large enough number of opportunities to uh, unfold. So, so it's a very nice example. Recently, there was, uh, in the South African uh, lottery, the numbers five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten were drawn. There was a lot of publicity in uh, the newspapers in South Africa, but also in, 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 in Britain. This must be a scam. This is impossible. But again, if you uh, think of the fact that there are so many lotteries in the world and so many lottery drawings, then it, it is not unlikely that at some moment uh, six consecutive numbers will be drawn. And this oh, principle... Uh, absolutely. This principle is so very important to teach to, uh, to, 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 to students the, the principle of the very, of the truly large numbers, or you can better call it a lottery principle. Right. It's right. very nice. Well, so I, I learned it, uh, as uh, the study of coincidences, uh, which yes. is yeah. ex- exactly the same uh, idea that if, if you have a large number of different samples, then uh, there is always going to be some rare event that is happening in in those yeah. samples. So so, yeah. so the probability of a failure of of a of a computer chip or something like that, the, the probability that a particular uh, battery uh, in a Samsung phone catches on fire maybe zero point zero 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 one. But uh, if you have billions and billions of, of phones uh, that use the same battery. Then uh, 
that there is a fairly reasonable chance that uh, on on a crowded flight one one of those batteries catches fire uh, yes. so, so yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. Right. exactly well it is it is also an uh, basic concept um, when you're looking to uh, future decisions um we talked about um towing courses and how unpredictable um they are and that an edge is uh, no guarantee. But um, another point is that these coincidences, these uh, totally unexpected things, which are very improbable, are in fact happening all the time, everywhere. And um, they have, uh, they can be of uh, uh, decisive influence on uh, on the future. And that's, I guess, also where uh, Taleb uh, uh, is writing about uh, when he talks about the black swan principle. And um, uh, that, uh, those coincidences are part of why the future is so difficult to predict uh, and to uh, make uh, the right decision because there can always happen something uh, improbable, unexpected, which uh, will change the course of history. And um, and that's because of the law of the truly large numbers. And uh, right. it says that um, um, you just have to look at the complementary probability. What is the probability when you observe one swan that it will be black? Uh, that it will be... Uh, uh, black. Well, the probability oh, that, that that will be a white swan, but the probability is uh, almost uh, certainly it will be a white swan. Take a thousand swans. What's the probability that they all will be white? Well, uh, it will be a high probability, but I I won't be uh, that sure uh, anymore. But with a million swans, the probability that all those million swans will be white will be uh, very uh, much smaller than uh, with a thousand swans. So the probability that at least one of them is black will be uh, uh, far higher than uh, people expect it to be. And those black swans can make the difference. And that's why uh, the future, also in investment and in history, in wars, etc., etc., is uh, so difficult to predict. You can say in hindsight, this, have, this happened, that happened, but you can't predict it because you never sure, you're never sure when these uh, coincidences will happen. Uh, and that's also yes. uh, something that people have to bear in mind uh, because um, uh, they say, no, that can't be a coincidence, and it really is a coincidence, or they don't expect it. You don't even see it coming, and uh, still it's there. So, well, um, I, I think when when Nassim Talib talked about uh, the black swan, he he was thinking more about events like the 1987 crash, which which had never been seen before. So, yeah. uh, so if if you have only seen throughout your life, if you have only seen white swans, 
and yeah. you you had no idea that there could even be a black swan so you don't even consider that there there could be a black swan sure, in your yeah. probability calculations because you you believe that the probability of a white swan is 100% because you you have only seen white swans in in your life but um so 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 this is exactly what uh, traders uh, in in 1987 just just before the big uh, crash of uh, crash of 87 saw uh, they they assumed that uh, the 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 market cannot go down by more than uh, 10% in a given day or some mm-hmm. something like mm-hmm. that in all their yeah. models uh, yeah. but, but on that particular day the market went down 23% or something like that and yeah, they they, sure. they had never <laughs> seen that event before and so that yeah. that event came as a complete uh, black swan to them they did not even believe yeah. that that was possible and some yeah. something similar happened with the with, with the dot com crisis and so on uh mm-hmm. and and with with the housing crisis in in 2008 and 2009 um so yeah. so one one related concept here that uh, professor michael morrison talks about a lot is is base rates so uh, th- there are these black swans yes they they happen from uh, time to time completely rare events that are uh, totally out of the blue that you cannot predict in advance because you've never seen yeah. them yeah um, they can be other, very forceful it can right. change everything it can change everything yes and people think uh-huh. uh, pro, uh, they people tend to think things uh, will stay the same or they will slowly change or they'll be, be, be a bit different but not that different but uh, things really change and in history and uh, probably also in uh, investment and uh, in uh, it's often things you don't expect like uh, uh, yes so you you knew something was going to happen in uh, this decennium but you didn't expect uh, the pandemic of uh, covid for example well uh, yes that there, there, there is some debate about whether uh, covid was was a black swan or not uh, simply because we have seen pandemics before uh That's we true. saw the spanish flu of 1918 and so on so so it's not like yeah. a completely unexpected event still, and there have been people still who warning about it and things like that yeah. uh although it it did come as a surprise to a lot of people yeah, yeah. but well um, maybe it's not a, is it a truly a black swan or not is still up but, for uh, debate yeah yes. you're completely right you're completely right uh, many people in the infection diseases were prepared to that such a thing would happen so it was yeah. for for the people in the street and blacks and but not for uh, the experts but, even but, they didn't right, know exactly. when <laughs> they didn't know when exactly this would happen and uh, it's just like earthquakes <laughs> people live in los angeles and as if nothing's going to happen but they know there will be a, a, a disastrous earthquake somewhere in the future well and, uh, uh, yes if if you live right on top of a fault line uh, yeah. it, it's only a matter of time <laughs> before before yeah. there's an earthquake there will be an earthquake uh, y- yeah. you just don't know when the, the probability in any given yeah. year of an earthquake <laughs> maybe yeah. one in 10000 or something so like that so it is a black swan maybe an unknown no, unknown and uh, an earthquake maybe an uh, known unknown 
Uh, Something like that. An earthquake is completely unpredictable. And that's a very, also very interesting about completely unpredictable events. Completely unpredictable events tend to cluster. You have probably also read uh, several times in newspapers. The, take, take the shark attacks. There was, a, I think, 10 years ago, an, uh, an article in the newspaper that there were seven uh, serious shark attacks in some place in, in Australia. I mean, seven uh, sharp, uh, serious shark attacks in a period of four months, while the average number of shark attacks in that period per year was three. But here, that's this not surprising if you look over a longer period and realize that unpredictable events tend to cluster. So if you look at over a longer period, then there will be a reasonable probability that you will see seven shark attacks somewhere in a window of four months. Uh, you you well, can't um, sure, but see if if you assume that shark attacks are all independent of each other, then yeah. if if you wait long enough, you will definitely see uh, there's a very very high probability that eventually. Uh, in fact, I think the probability goes to 100% that eventually this rare event, seeing a large number of shark attacks in one month will happen. But yes. what if there's a hidden source of correlation, right? Well, what if it's the same shark attacking all these people? <laughs> then, yes, you're right, you're right. Then the all events right. are not independent of yeah, each other. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, maybe you should take the uh, very example of shark. raindrops. Yeah, yeah you're raindrops. right. That's, that's something everyone uh, can imagine. If you see the first raindrops on the street, it is never, uh, 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 there are always clusters of raindrops and parts that are completely dry. And, yeah, um, good example, yeah, good example. And, and that's, that's, that's what happens uh, with uh, randomness. People think it's kind of irregular but balanced process, but there are always uh, these streaks, these runs for the same outcome, clusters, and that's that's part of unpredictability. And, yes, uh, let me add, let me add one thing about it. So let's take our our friend the random number generator. If you use the random number generator to 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 generate, I say, hundred uh, random numbers between zero and one, then you will see that they cluster, and that's exactly what randomness is. Because if they would be on equal distances, it would it would not be random anymore. So uh, it is a natural property of completely uh, unpredictable events that they have a tendency to cluster over a uh, longer period. Uh, considered uh, surprising things in uh, if you think about it, it is not that uh, strange. But uh, yeah. Right, exactly. It doesn't so feel when, like random if the, those clusters uh, are. If you are hit by three missiles in the Ukraine and your neighbor isn't, it it doesn't feel like uh, randomness, but it feels like they uh, were aiming at you. But um, it, it's it's just uh, well, maybe not the mis modern missiles, but in the Second World War. They landed uh, almost uh, everywhere uh, uh, around London. In some places they clustered, some places weren't hit. People thought the places where the missiles clustered 
were uh, uh, consciously uh, being aimed at, but it was just a random uh, outcome of the of, uh, of the imprecise nature of uh, the flight of such a missile. Well, uh, I I don't know how, exactly. how precisely you can you can target a missile, uh, but but it is true that people often uh, underestimate. Um, the, how, how much uh, random events cluster together. In yeah. fact, uh, scientists have, uh, psychologists have experimented with this in the lab. So if you yeah. ask people to write, write a bunch of random numbers, say between one and hundred or something like that, write, write five yeah, random yeah. numbers between one and hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, most of the time pe people write down numbers that they think are random, but actually, yeah. They are not that random because uh, the people tend yeah. to distribute these numbers fairly evenly. Whereas, yeah. if if the numbers yeah. are truly random, they wouldn't be distributed evenly. Exactly. So, yeah. all right. Uh, so, so it, it's been a lovely uh, conversation. Uh, th thank you very much, uh, both uh, Hank and Stephen, for spending time and uh, uh, talking to us about va various probability puzzles and concepts and so on. Um, and a lot of these concepts apply to investing as well. Um, for example, the, the, the square root law applies to the law of diversification and, and so on. Uh, there are uh, all, all kinds of concepts um, uh, like, uh, like base rates and uh, uh, the, the Lindy effect that uh, Nassim Talib popularized and, and so on. There are, there are so many concepts in probability that yeah. translate uh, directly to investing applications. And so um, yeah. e even though you are not experts in investing, you, you are experts in, in probability. And uh, so th thank you so much for sharing your experiences. And yeah, thank, thank you all. Uh, thank sure. you. It was my pleasure to contribute. I, I admire your Twitter threads. Twitter, uh, Threads, they are really excellent, and so it was my, my big, my great pleasure to be on the on one of your podcasts. And I hope you, you continue those nice podcasts in future. And, uh, okay. uh, may I add? I learned something myself oh, sure. too about investment. Uh, of course, of course. Uh, <laughs> of course. Go right ahead. So yes. I'm very happy to uh, have had the opportunity to be on your podcast, and thank you very much. Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, thank you both. And th thank you all very much for tuning in. Uh, see, see you next Sunday. Uh, take care and bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.